Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Total knee replacements are a common surgical intervention for patients with knee pain. Today, we're looking at a recent piece published by JOSPT titled Expert Consensus for the Use of Outpatient Rehabilitation Visits After Total Knee Arthroplasty, a Delphi Study. The study's lead author, Dr. Jeremy Graber, has been kind enough to join us today. Dr. Graber graduated with his DPT from Indiana University in 2016, and he recently earned his PhD in Rehabilitation Science from the University of Colorado School of Medicine. He's a current postdoc in the VA Eastern Colorado Healthcare System and CU Physical Therapy Program, and his research focus is creating tools to help physical therapists deliver personalized care with a focus in joint replacement. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Today, Jeremy, first of all, thank you so much for joining us for JOSPT Insights. We're pretty excited to get into this with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited as well. I know that we don't usually get into the nitty gritty, like this isn't quite a journal club, but can you just explain to listeners what a Delphi study is? Yeah, so a Delphi study is really, it's just a method to bring together experts on a particular topic to try to build consensus about something that isn't well established in the literature, or that maybe isn't is a question that's kind of hard to answer through like standard research techniques. We wanted to understand, you know, how do experts, clinicians, and researchers in total knee arthroplasty decide how many visits to recommend patients after knee replacement? So then how did you guys go about getting that consensus? Like who were you asking to answer that question? Yeah, so we wanted to get a diverse group. Um, We wanted to ask both orthopedic surgeons, they see and treat lots and lots of patients with knee replacement. And then they have lots of follow-ups with them as well. So we include orthopedic surgeons. And then of course, physical therapists made up the bulk of our sample. And these were all clinicians who had over five years of experience, as well as like treat a large volume of patients after knee replacement. And then within the physical therapist, we had some that were also focused on more research. So who had an established track record of publishing a lot in this arena. And then we also sought out a handful of clinicians who were like advanced practice providers who work very closely with orthopedic surgeons and who see like tons and tons of patients with knee replacement for their follow-ups. And so have a a pretty good grasp of how they're doing and how their rehab is going. So you are just getting their consensus about stuff. So the question was, what should the visits after a total knee arthroplasty look like? What what was the consensus? This is a, a challenging question to to put together in a way that you can actually gain consensus from a group like this, because there's lots of ways that you could think about it, right? And if it was just free form. So we spent actually a decent amount of time just trying to come up with a format of questions that might be able to reach consensus with several iterations. So what we did was we said, you know, how often a patient is likely to need to come into care probably depends on how their recovery is going relative to expected. So like, are they doing great? Are they doing about like you expected? Or are they kind of behind from what you expected for that patient? And then we also thought, you know, how often they come in probably depends on how far they are out from surgery, you know, with tissue healing and as their pain and swelling gets better. So we basically wanted to say like, with these two factors, taking both these into consideration, how often do you recommend? So we had different recommendations for months one, two, and three, and then different recommendations for patients doing better than expected or as expected or like slower than expected. 
So if you take that like three by three table, there's like nine different recommendations that we came to. So the people who are presenting with like slower or more typical or faster kind of going along in the rehab, you gave kind of some guidelines, which was helpful. Was that part of the consensus or was that separate? Along with just the visit frequency recommendations, we called them complementary recommendations, which were really just, we know that there are certain things that you have to take into account to determine like if a patient's doing well or not doing well relative to what's expected. So what are some of those things that clinicians are taking into account? Can we get some expert consensus or recommendations for clinicians to consider when they're making that determination, when they're trying to put patients into that categorization? This is expert consensus. There were 38, 29 experts. This is not like hard and fast that we think everyone has to get, you know, twice a week in the first week or in the first month after surgery, no matter what. Really, we sort of envision this as like, this is a, a starting point that like clinicians and patients can come together and look at this together and then personalize from there. We really never had it in our mind that we wanted this to be like the way that care has to be delivered or that care absolutely should be delivered. It's just more like a common starting point between clinicians, between clinics, and between patients and clinicians. Okay, so then, I mean, we're going to do a spoiler alert, but like, what are the frequencies? What are these? What are the times to discharge that you came up with? Yeah, so in recovery month one, the experts agreed that regardless of the patient's presentation, so slow, typical, or fast, they recommended twice per week. That changed in recovery month two, where they recommended twice per week just for the slower group, and then once per week for the typical and fast group. And then lastly, in month three, for the slower recovery group, they still recommended twice per week, typical group, again, once per week. And actually, we did not come to consensus for the faster recovery group in recovery month three. Okay, so that was actually interesting when I was reading through it. it seems like the only thing that you guys didn't come to consensus on, what was kind of the sticking point there? The main sticking point was, it was, about, it was kind of like a 50-50 split. One group said, you know, I don't feel comfortable saying that this population doesn't need more rehab because we don't really know what their goals are. Maybe they're ahead of where we expected them to be, but maybe their expectations were higher than yours. And they actually want to get back to some like really high level activities. We shouldn't just out of hand say that they need to be discontinuing care. Whereas the other half was basically saying like, if they're ahead of recovery at post-operative month three, like their pain, their swelling is probably better. They're ready to manage independently. And so um, we basically saw from round to round, those two groups weren't coming any closer to consensus. Gotcha. Which, I mean, that makes sense. And so we can kind of take that as like, a, okay, then you can kind of go case by case with that, right? And consider those things. Absolutely. So then, and then you guys found time to discharge and some telemed recommendations as well. Yeah, so those were part of those complementary recommendations that I mentioned earlier. An important distinction between those is compared to the frequency recommendations, we actually used, a, in the frequency recommendations, we used a really strict criteria for when consensus was met. And we defined that before the study. For these recommendations, we didn't use that strict criteria. It was more of a description of this is the way that our experts, this is, these are the answers that they put forward. And then we kind of showed the spread of those answers as well. But basically what they said, I can go through some of the timing ones that you mentioned, which are probably one of the more relevant. So for patients recovering more slowly than expected, they recommended on average that patients be seen about 15 weeks with a standard deviation of about three weeks. And then for patients doing a typical recovery, they recommended 10 weeks. And for patients recovering more quickly than expected, it was eight weeks. I do not treat put only arthroplasties because I only treat 18 to 22 year olds. But those seem <laughs> very, I mean, those seem like pretty on point. And to have like all those experts come together on that time frame, that's, I'm actually like a little bit surprised that 
from surgery to PTs would actually come together. And that, that's kind of great. Yeah, we were actually really surprised too that there was so much consensus in round one, which was actually kind of cool to see. We sort of felt like we weren't forcing this consensus on the experts like through the process itself. It was kind of already there. And we just sort of were able to bring it to light by creating this format and surveying. Hey, Jeremy, what was the consensus that y'all came to regarding telemed? Oh, so for telerehabilitation and and this one, actually, we actually did employ our more strict consensus criteria for this one. And basically, the experts agreed that it's a safe, effective, appropriate method for patients who are in that typical recovery, as well as in the fast recovery. But actually, they came to consensus for the opposite for patients in a slower recovery, where our experts felt like that was not an appropriate use for those patients. And, and mainly... We, we collected some comments and qualitative data through the survey as well. And mainly they felt like these patients really needed more hands-on care, both for assessment and for like a manual therapy standpoint. And they just felt like they couldn't deliver the best care that these patients probably needed through tele-rehab. I mean, that's a good consideration to make. So that's, I'm glad you guys were able to discuss that. It was nice to see that that's an option here, particularly those that are progressing well, because I think Oftentimes, total knee replacements are thought of as a very you know, manual, heavy, manual, intensive plan of care. And so tele-rehabilitation might not work, but it actually looks like it can be a good option for those that are doing well and will open up this type of rehab to people who may not live in an area where they can get to PT so easily. So that's, that's really good to see. Yeah, I agree. And I think the tele-rehabilitation space, like it's, it's getting more and more advanced as far as, you know, modalities you can use to assess patients more accurately with range of motion, you know, keep track of their swelling, scar management, things like that. So that, we agree that was really cool to see that there was kind of that consensus. And then also to see that our surgical colleagues kind of rec- recognize the advantages of when those patients are maybe a little bit behind, like there is that benefit to the hands-on aspect of what we do too. So that was kind of cool to see. And so is there anything else that we have not touched on in this paper that you want to make sure that we get out there? So I think we've hit the the main points. I just kind of want to come back to the fact that we really just consider this as a starting point for conversations between patients and clinicians, an opportunity to, to give patients more insight about what other patients who are recovering similar to them have been recommended by experts. That way they can feel a little bit more empowered in the decision-making process too. And it just becomes more of a collaborative process between the patient and clinician. And as just a plug in the actual article, do you guys have some examples about like how you would bring this up in a conversation um, with a patient, like bringing up their specific concerns about their goals and where they're at and so how you can kind of bring that in. So, okay, I want to hear you love the world of Let's see, you've got some geriatric background in your research. You have some, you have a lot of total knee stuff. So I'd love to hear if you have anything else you wanted to bring up just in the world of total knees that you were like super excited about. Something that I'm really excited about and a lot of what I spend my time in actually in the total knee replacement population is kind of building some predictive modeling approaches. A lot of what our lab's moving towards with this population is trying to really personalize that way, the way that rehabilitation is delivered and the way that we monitor recovery in this population. So we've been working on building some different predictive models that kind of, they do a pretty good job actually of predicting how patients are likely to recover after surgery, and then building some web-based tools that puts those models into the hands of patients and clinicians so they can have like a, a much more tailored way of monitoring patients and kind of deciding like how that impacts their plan of care. That sounds incredible. What, or what kind of like web-based tools are you talking about? We just put out a preprint that kind of has a like a beta version of this 
But basically, it's like we create reference charts of recovery. So much like a childhood growth chart, you would use to like plot your child's growth over time. We can create those same charts for knee flexion, knee extension, range of motion, pain, patient reported outcome measures. And then basically, you know, that's this a very specific recovery trajectory that's predicted for that patient based on their demographics, as well as their like initial post-operative presentation. And then you monitor how that patient's tracking relative to their expectation or their chart over time. And you can use that then to inform decisions. So that's actually a great way to say, like, is a patient covering more slowly than expected? You can actually put that on a chart and say, yeah, it really looks like they are. Like, what should we do about that? Or if a patient's like really like on the top of the chart on everything, that's really great evidence and a great talking point with the patient to say, hey, you're doing great. Like, let's talk about self-management. Let's talk about, you know, are you where you're where you want to be? You know, it's a really exciting line of research that can both help clinicians to make more personalized clinical decisions about patients, but also gives patients more information about their recovery that allows them to be a be more active in that process as well in collaboration with their clinician. And so for clinicians that are listening right now and saying, wait, this is this sounds really neat. I want to learn more about this. Where would you where would you point them? My dissertation work is was all focused on this. So I have a couple of manuscripts we're hopefully going to be getting submitted here soon. We do have one of those manuscripts though that we recently just posted as a preprint. That preprint is focused more on like the patients and clinicians, like qualitative thoughts about using this tool in practice. But in it, there's a little link where you can actually go through and kind of see like a small demo version of what we're using in practice. We will definitely put that in the show notes for our listeners that are interested in checking that out. Okay. Yeah, that would be great because um, yeah, we're really excited that we were actually able to create like a little open access version of what we're doing. And it can't quite do everything that the actual tool that we're using and like testing in practice, but it's like a cool way to kind of see the idea of what we're working on. Jeremy, wait, I just love that you you are just just like hard nerd into TKAs. It's awesome. Like that is such a cool tech and like it's I guess it's, it's kind of tech if it's a computer, like tech and tech. Anyway, I just think it's super cool. That's a great way to advance the rehab for that condition. Super awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. And, you know, the TKA population has been a great starting point for all this research, but we actually do see immediate avenues into other post-operative populations. Like once we kind of show some of the, the use case for some of our like prediction work in TKA, we're hoping to expand pretty rapidly into other populations too, specifically post-operative. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your experience, what you've worked on, and for sharing your time with all of our listeners. Really appreciate you guys having me on. It's been fun talking about this. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.